There was a stretch of time where Woody Guthrie hosted a radio show on a radio station called WNEW in New York City. And he would sing songs and tell stories, and he invited the listeners to send in questions or comments, and he would address them. I'd like to start out this show with a quote that he read on the air. Part of a much larger piece, but this particular quote has become somewhat famous in Woody Guthrie circles, and I think it does a really good job of explaining who he was. I hate a song that makes you think that you're not any good. I hate a song that makes you think that you're just born to lose, bound to lose, no good to nobody, no good for nothing. Because you are too old or too young or too fat or too slim or too ugly or too this or too that. Songs that run you down or poke fun at you on account of your bad luck or hard traveling. I'm out to fight those songs to my very last breath of air and my last drop of blood. I'm out to sing songs that will prove to you that this is your world and that if it has hit you pretty hard and knocked you for a dozen loops, no matter what color, what size you are, how you are built, I'm out to sing the songs that make you take pride in yourself and in your work. And the songs that I sing are made up for the most part by all sorts of folks just about like you. I could hire out to the other side, the big money side, and get several dollars a week just to quit singing my own kind of songs and to sing the kind that knock you down still farther and the ones that poke fun at you even more and the ones that make you think that you've not got any sense at all. But I decided a long time ago that I'd starve to death before I'd sing any such songs as that. The radio waves and your movies and your jukeboxes and your songbooks are already loaded down and running over with such no-good songs as that anyhow. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. I'll be flying solo on this particular episode as we talk about Woody Guthrie and his iconic song, This Land is Your Land. If you were raised in the United States, and maybe even elsewhere, you probably sang This Land is Your Land when you were a kid in elementary school. It's one of those rare songs that becomes part of the American fabric. We all know it, but not a lot of us know the backstory. So I figured I would take this episode and tell some stories about Woody Guthrie and about the writing of this song. I like to say sometimes that this is an oral history. This is a, an oral tradition. I'm just sharing stories, and I'm going to try to be as accurate as I can to the best of my knowledge, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Here's This Land is Your Land. Our story begins with Woody Guthrie hitchhiking across America from California to New York City. About 10 years into the Great Depression, and things are not going so great in 
all across America. And Woody Guthrie is seeing people who are have lost everything, who are struggling to make ends meet, just having a very hard time with the American dream. And uh, just to give you an idea of some of the situations he's in, I'd like to read a quote from his radio show that I spoke about earlier. Woody says, I've followed all kinds of big work jobs all over the country, like the oil fields, coal mines, big timber jobs, the Grand Coulee Dam, the Tennessee Valley Authority in the state of Tennessee, the harvesting of all kinds of crops like cotton, wheat, spuds, beets, and grapes, and fruits, and berries, and vegetables. I've followed the building of the big highways like the Lincoln and the 66, and the hard rock tunnels and the WPA roads and streamlined speedways, and the building of big ships, and the places where ferry boats land and where the subway trains and all of the other trains load up full of people. And I sang in roadhouses, hotels, mess rooms, churches, union halls, saloons, and nightclubs and taverns, and have always sung for 12 or 14 hours a day, and sometimes 24. That's Woody Guthrie talking about some of his travel experiences. So Woody Guthrie is traveling across America, and everywhere he goes, he sees good, honest people working their fingers to the grindstone and falling behind. Just can't find a way to get ahead. And he's seeing so many people with hungry children, men who are willing to work, men and women who are willing to work, not able to find any work at all. Not to mention the bigotry, the prejudice, and violence. And by the time he gets to Pittsburgh, he hits a snowstorm. And he keeps hearing this song on the radio, on jukeboxes, everywhere, coming out of buildings. He keeps hearing this song, and it keeps mocking him. And he grows to hate this song. The song that Woody keeps hearing coming out of radios, out of bar rooms. The song is God Bless America, and it's Kate Smith singing it. And if you've ever heard Kate Smith's version, there's nothing, there's nothing nuanced about it whatsoever. It's just completely over the top, and it's not very pleasant to my ears. And Woody hates it instantly. He just cannot relate to it at all. He, it's not the America that he's seen in the crowded labor camps, you know, seeing people starving. So he just can't re- he can't relate to this song at all. I really wish that it would have been Ray Charles' version of God Bless America. Maybe Woody would have thought of it a little bit differently, but I understand the Kate Smith version is pretty difficult. I'm not a big fan of the song one way or the other, but it was written by Irving Berlin, who is a genius and a great, great songwriter, one of the greatest of all time. And Irving Berlin you know, has written such great songs as Cheek to Cheek, White Christmas, Alexander's Ragtime Band, Putting on the Ritz, Blue Skies. I mean, he really, one of the great, great songwriters of all time. Now, there's no way that Woody Guthrie would have known that Irving Berlin himself was raised in the slums of New York and was brought up around complete and total poverty and somehow managed to lift himself out of that through through his songs. I think Woody would have had a different appreciation for Irving Berlin, but that's beside the point. So everywhere Woody goes, he's hearing this song, and he feels like it's mocking him, and he can't escape it, and it's affecting him in, in a lot of different ways. But by the time he got to New York, he was going to do something about it. When Woody finally made it to New York, he ended up crashing on couches of friends for a couple weeks, and he checked into a flop house 
was a hotel called the Hanover House, and it was at 101 West 43rd Street on the corners of 6th and 43rd. They're on the northwest corner. It was, you know, a flop house. It was a very cheap hotel for people who have fallen through the cracks of society. This was a very different Manhattan back in 1940, and he was one block away from where the ball drops in Times Square there on New Year's Eve. And if you looked out some of the windows, you could see the Empire State Building, which was probably just 10 or 15 years old at the time. But it was right there at Hanover House in the heart of Manhattan that Woody started writing. And on February 23rd, 1940, he wrote a song that he called God Blessed America. It was a parody of uh, God Bless America. God Blessed America was like past tense. He would end the choruses with God Blessed America for me. He was mocking the song, God Bless America. And he wrote a lot of verses and uh, he set it aside and didn't do anything with it for a little while. But when he picked it back up, he changed the name of the song to This Land Is Your Land. And it became the song that we you know, know and love today. And I absolutely love the idea of Woody Guthrie, this huge figure in music, wrote this iconic American song, a song that we all sing when we're kids growing up in school, he wrote it in this flop house, looking out the window at the Empire State Building, surrounded by prostitutes, itinerants, hobos, merchant marines, people who are on the lowest rung of the social order in America. He wrote, this land is your land, surrounded by and in celebration of these people. For the first few years after writing the song, the song just sat around and Woody didn't record it until 1944 when he did the session with Mo Ash, which later, I believe in 1997, became part of the Ash recordings and, and not a lot of people knew the recording existed before then. Woody wrote a lot of different verses to This Land Is Your Land. Some of those fell by the wayside and I promise to come back to that in a little bit. You know, it's interesting to note that the melody for This Land Is Your Land came from a Carter family song called Little Darlin' Pal of Mine. And the Carter family got the melody from an African-American gospel song. Woody loved the Carter family. He was a big fan of the Carter family, and he loved the idea of a family band. This is all part of a folk music tradition that we talked about in episode 105, the Wabash Cannonball. If you haven't heard that one, I strongly suggest Jess, you go back and listen to that episode. But it was part of a tradition where you would take songs that already existed and you would write your own song to that melody and you would just be adding to the folk music tradition. That wasn't frowned upon until much later. And then now we look at that as a bad thing. But if you put your head back then, it would be completely normal that Woody would have taken this familiar tune and put new lyrics to it. It was very common for people to do that. It's also interesting to note that there was a strange copyright problem. This Land is Your Land wasn't copywritten until 1956. Even though it was written in 1940 and first recorded in, in 44, it was released on Folkways in 49. At the time, copyright law said that a copyright had to be renewed every 28 years. So if the song was originally copywritten in 56, Ludlow Music, the people who were in charge of renewing all of the said copyrights, they renewed it in 1984. I apologize if this is confusing. There's a lot of numbers being thrown around, but it's a little bit confusing to me also. 
But Ludlow Music was the company that was in charge of renewing these copyrights after every 28 years. And their clock started in 1956. So in 1984, they renewed it. But they later found out that Woody had published some sort of pamphlet with the words and music, and he sold it as sheet music. It's the sheet music for This Land is Your Land. And he did this in 1945. And that is a legal copyright. So the one in 1956 was null and void. The problem with that is that when 1973 came around, which was 28 years after Woody's original 1945 copyright by making the sheet music, since it wasn't renewed then, the song fell into the public domain. So it might be the only Woody Guthrie song that is public domain at this point. I apologize if that confused you in any way. It wouldn't be copyright law if it wasn't confusing. Over the years, there's been a large, passionate group of artists who have done everything they can to keep Woody Guthrie's songs alive and to keep This Land Is Your Land alive. It's too many people to, to name, people like Pete Seeger, people like Joan Baez, Bob Dylan. So many artists over the years have uh, sung the praises of Woody Guthrie and This Land Is Your Land. But maybe the biggest boost it ever got was somebody behind the scenes, was Alan Lomax, which if you have not heard the episode with John Lomax talking about his family and his uncle, Alan Lomax. Um, I strongly urge you to go back and listen to that. But Alan Lomax had talked to publishers. People are publishing books or textbooks for, for kids in school. He wanted to get songs from the Library of Congress, songs that were folk songs, and put them into these textbooks so that kids would sing them in school. And he was very successful at doing this. And he's the person responsible for getting This Land is Your Land in all of these textbooks. You know, the Lomax family has done more to shape American music than any other family. And like I said, I strongly urge you to go listen to the John Lomax episodes that we did last year. But from these textbooks is where most of us in America first heard This Land is Your Land. And over the years, like I said, there's been so many people who have recorded it, but it's never been a hit song. It's never been a song that sold you know, a million copies. There's no, it's not a hit. It's interesting that it's a song we all know, but it was never blaring over the radio. It's just all part of, of our childhoods and all part of our growing up and singing it together, just people singing it to each other, which is very much in the tradition of folk music. The first time I saw Arlo Guthrie live, it was quite a while ago. It doesn't seem that long ago, but it was a long time ago, probably. He was just wonderful, just wonderful, a very low-key. I seem to remember him sitting down, telling stories, singing songs, and making people laugh. And it's just everything I love about music, where it's completely unpretentious and it felt real. But he told a lot of stories about his father, Woody. And I remember one story he told that would give him give us an idea of what Woody was like. He's told a story about these two rabbits, a male and a female rabbit who are being chased through the woods by these hunting dogs. And they see this old hollowed out log and they jump inside there and they're sitting there scared and the dogs all surround the log. And on each side of it, the dogs are just everywhere. There's nowhere to go. And the girl rabbit looks at a man rabbit and says, 
you know, I guess this is it. I guess uh, there's nothing for us to do now. What could we possibly do? And the male rabbit looks over to the girl rabbit and says, well, I guess we stay in here until we outnumber them. And he said that was pretty much what uh, Woody's outlook on life was and his sense of humor. I always loved that joke. But I remember him telling a story before singing This Land is Your Land. He would talk about how he would go to school as a kid, and they would sing that in school, except for there were verses that they didn't sing. And he would hear his dad around the house. They would sing that sometimes. He would hear his dad sing it, and he didn't understand that. But Arlo would come into school, and they would sing the songs, and he would tell his teacher, you know, there's verses that are left out of this that we're not singing. And the teacher would say, no, you're crazy. You don't know that. And he's like, no, my dad wrote this song. There's more verses than this. But Arlo said that he later learned that when these songs were being added to the textbooks, it was the height of the Cold War. We'll just say whoever was making these textbooks felt that it was very important that everything in it shine a good light on America. So a lot of things wouldn't be included in textbooks, even if they really happened, even if it was the history of the actual American people, they were removed to shine a more flattering light on America. And some of these verses must have been deemed unfit for young kids to to sing in school, and they were removed. And so the song that we know now is just part of the actual song that Woody wrote. And um, there are these other verses that I keep speaking of. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. In 2009, there were a few hundred thousand people gathered at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., in the same spot where Martin Luther King stood and gave his I Have a Dream speech. There was a few hundred thousand people just stretched out as far as you can see, Bruce Springsteen and Pete Seeger stood there and sang, This Land is Your Land. And they sang all the verses. They sang every one of them. They sang the song of Woody Guthrie, the song that he wrote when he was sitting in a flop house in New York, surrounded by prostitutes, pimps, hobos. You know, this sang the song of a man who was traveling across America, seeing the labor camps and seeing the people who had fallen through the cracks, the hardworking people who wanted nothing more than to just be able to feed and give a good life to their family. And the song that he wrote to speak out against God Bless America, a song that he did not agree with, and he thought that uh, just had the whole thing wrong. Well, he wrote a song in answer to that. He wrote, This Land is Your Land. And Pete Seeger and Bruce Springsteen asked the entire crowd of a few hundred thousand people to sing along, and they did. They sang, this land is your land, and they sang all of the verses, even the ones that were left out of textbooks. They sang this song at the top of their lungs at the inauguration of the first black president in American history. Imagine two or three hundred thousand people at the Lincoln Memorial singing at the top of their lungs. As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign... It said no trespassing, but on the other side, it didn't say nothing. That side was made for you and me. In the shadow of the steeple, I saw my people. By the relief office, I seen my people. As they stood there hungry, I stood there asking, 
Is this land made for you and me? I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to invite everyone to go listen to some Woody Guthrie. And if you have some children, you might as well teach them those extra verses. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe, and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.